So I got a confession to make. Up until yesterday, I thought this was a men's conference that I was coming to. <laughs> so we're on the ferry, and you know, I'm preparing for a men's conference not only spiritually with my message, but I'm wearing like jeans with holes in them. I have grown out my white beard because white beards do really well with men. For whatever reason, Santa always does well at men's conferences. And we're on the ferry, and we run into Peter and his wife. We don't even, I've never, I don't know if I've ever met Peter. And somehow the guys just, uh, I brought up some of my friends from uh, Everett, uh, met Peter. And, and I looked over at Peter, and we started talking. And I said, no, is this a men's event that we're going to? And he goes, no, this is for everybody. And I'm like, that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad I'm here. And I loved uh, last night. I love the time that we had. And I want to continue that. I want to make sure that we're not just here because we have a beautiful building and this is something we do. I never want to underestimate the drama that exists in the pews. We all bring in stuff that God's got to deal with. And so these are special times when we allow the Lord collectively in front of each other to do his work, his deep soul work in our hearts. And it's vulnerable but it's important. And essentially, we're acknowledging that there's hope for us, and the hope comes through Jesus. And we're here to talk about his love for us. Trust me, you can never love him enough. You don't have the power to love him enough, but he has enough love for you. And, and we want to focus on his love, on the, on the Lord's love for us. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. Can you hear me okay? Good. Let's read Ephesians 3 and then let's pray and ask the Lord to do his work in our hearts. I love coming up to the Sunshine Coast. I remember when Ed Hickey, by the way, Ed Hickey says hello. I talked to him this week on the phone, dear friend. So great to see what God's doing at uh, Calvary Chapel Sunshine Coast in here. But uh, I remember when Ed Hickey Years ago, I was at Calvary Chapel Linden, and I was the regional pastor for Canada at the time. And Ed called me and said, hey, man, as Ed does, hey, man, uh, the Jehovah's Witness uh, Kingdom Hall is up for sale. And uh, how many of you were around back in that day? Lots. Wow, that's longevity. And... Um, I'm down in Linden in my office. It's the morning. because I'm going to go look at it this afternoon. And I said, I'll get on a ferry right now and come with you. And we'll walk around it seven times. <laughs> so we're not walking around it seven times. I want, I want the building. I want to keep it. And I came up that day. It was like one of those amazing trips where you get the ferry just in time. You get here. You get across. And you're here by the early afternoon. And we prayed over that building and prayed over that building. It was so exciting. And to be there last night after all these years and to see what the Lord has done and see it filled with people. And, and listen, as a visiting pastor, uh, having been a pastor for 20, over 20 years, you look for a few things when you come into a church. One, are people talking to each other? Do they actually like each other? Do, do they want to be together? Is there a buzz in the room, right? This has got a buzz. People love to be with each other here and then last night. That's very important. Secondly, do people sing? 
It's that simple. If people don't sing, there's no life in the church. And people here are singing. And I love the fact that Joel just gets up here with his guitar and everyone stands and they're just worshiping, you know. But third, are you tracking with the study? Do you have your Bibles open? Are people actually sitting under the Word of God? Of course, that's happening here and at Calvary. And so it's very exciting to see the health of what God's doing. So anyway, just wanted to encourage you with that. Ephesians 3, go to verses 17 to 19. Let's read these and pray. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is Paul's apostolic prayer for the church in Ephesus. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted, deeply rooted, and deeply grounded in, what's the word? Love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. That's an equation. To know, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It's unknowable, but I want you to know it. It passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How full is God? Very full. (laughs) Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's pray. So Lord, we're praying to a God that is in this room. You're walking in the midst of this room. You're measuring the hearts of those that worship you here. You're ministering to people first and foremost. And Lord, I believe this weekend you want us to experience and to know and to be rooted and grounded, to know the unknowable and to be filled with all the fullness of your love. Lord, you want us to know your love, your love for us personally. You want to pick the locks of our hearts here today. You want to do that work that only you can do. And Lord, it's one thing to say that you're here, but we have your word in our hands. And it is true truth. It is bedrock truth. And Lord, so often we get our eyes, as you know, on ourselves and on our failures and our weaknesses. And had we not had this book to remind us of your character and your faithfulness toward us, Uh, we would be in dire straits. And so, Lord, being a generation that has your word, we can stand on your word, we can have faith in your word, and, Lord, we pray that we would just bring our hearts into congruency with this bedrock truth and that we'd be grounded in it. And, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that's believing lies or they have been overtaken by the flesh and they just can't seem to get their eyes back on Jesus— We ask, Lord, that through your word, through just having simple faith, you said it, you mean it, you declared it, I have faith in it, Lord, that it would just simply go deep into people's hearts and minister to them, remind us of how deep your love is for us. And we pray this today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. When I saw that disco ball, I thought we should sing How Deep Is Your Love. It would fit perfectly do a little Bee Gees worship here this morning. So I want to ask you a question, and it's got a twist, but I want to ask you a question. How many of you would say that your number one passion in life since you became a believer, or, or you want it to be at least, your number one passion in life 
is that you love Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind. How many of you would say that that is what you want your number one passion to be? Okay. So I'm going to twist that. This is a bit of a trick question. It's always good to earn the trust of the congregation with a trick question right off the bat. So let's turn it around. According to Paul's apostolic prayer for the church in Ephesus, how many of you would say that your number one passion in life is to know how much Christ loves you on a daily basis? Not how much you love him, but to wake up every day and say, I need to know how deep, how wide, how high your love is for me, Lord. How many of you would say that's your passion every day? One lady's got two hands. I don't even have my glasses on and I can see. (laughs) But we don't even think that way. We're not even wired to think that way, are we? And yet Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, I want you to know the love of Christ. And he goes into this amazing, amazing, unknowable knowledge. When you start saying that the knowledge of how much Christ loves you is unknowable, that's deep. And yet we're not wired to think that way. And yet the title of my message today and tonight is this, Receiving, Receiving Love, Receiving from God, comes first. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write that down because it's key. Receiving comes first. Not giving, but receiving from the Lord always comes first on a daily basis. Notice, he doesn't pray that the church would know that Christ, or he prays that the church would know that Christ loves them more, that they would know more of Christ's inexhaustible love for them. Paul actually calculates God's love for us, and it's infinite, and it's endless. He gives us the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, and he prays that we would be rooted and grounded in Christ's love, that we would know it every single day. He prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. How do you even know how full the fullness of God? He's talking about God's love, the fullness of God's love. We serve a God who is defined by love. God is what? He's love. What other faith has that? There is no other faith. Only Christianity is a faith. And we receive this love from the Lord the moment we get saved. We get lavished upon with this love, this infinite, endless, massive love that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. He even says that we would know that we would be exceedingly abundantly blessed with this love, that we would receive it. And and today and tonight, I'm going to, because we have to get down to brass tacks when we talk about these things. We can talk about love all day long, but we have to kind of understand how God um, makes us experience his love. He has his ways And he has his ways to cause us to experience his love. And I'm going to talk about four ways that God has uh, caused me to experience his love through trials and tests and through discipline and things that he has utilized in my life. And we're going to talk about some of that this morning, but I'm also going to continue that tonight because we need to know how God um, really pours this love into our hearts and how we end up loving him back. But he he wants us to be filled with this amazing fullness and that we would know the unknowable when it comes to the love of God. 
And I think as ministers, having been um, a pastor since uh, Lynn and I moved to Romania in 1993, I've been married to my wife, Lynn. She's a beautiful Canadian-Japanese woman um, since 1991. So 24 years, 25 years this year. October is our silver wedding anniversary. And um, she's a very long-suffering woman. And she hasn't, doesn't even look like she's aged today, to be honest. So I want you all to like, let her know that I've said this publicly <laughs> when you see her. But she doesn't. She doesn't look like she's aged today. She married Rob Lowe, and something happened along the way. <laughs> but let's move on. 25 years ago, Lynn and I got married, and then we moved to Romania in 1993. And you know, having been in the ministry for all these years, it's very important as a minister that I understand that receiving comes first, because pastors are probably the worst. We can get into a workspace system, even though we preach against it. We think that if we're not bearing fruit like we think, I mean, toiling in Romania, I, we were in England for four years. England is, as you know, what Canada's like. England is so post-Christian now, it's pre-Christian in its culture. And sometimes when we were in Manchester, it would be like throwing seed on concrete, very little fruit. And you can just get um, into a place when, when it's wintry outside. Trust me, we did not have this view at Calvary Chapel in Manchester. But when it's wintry and not many people are coming to church and you're out witnessing and you start to think, God might love me, but I don't know if he likes me anymore. I don't know if he's for me anymore. I don't know what's going on. Are we wasting our life? And that's a bad place to be. And sometimes you can just get in these peaks and valleys as pastors. And uh, you, you start to lose sight that the Lord loves you deeply. He's for you. He's going to bless you. You just keep doing what he's called you to do. And you fast forward. Some of you know our story, but, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. Um, but we were in Linden back from 2000 to 2005. And after five years of being in Linden, I was at a place where I can honestly say, I, you know, I would have preferred to work at McDonald's than be a pastor. And I think every pastor after 25 years can get to that place on bad days. You know, if you've got a Target in town, you want to work at the Target, you know, or a Walmart. Um, I know that I, I just kept fantasizing about working at McDonald's for whatever reason. I remember calling Brian Broderson, who's the pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa, where I just moved up from. I was up uh, down in Costa Mesa for three years with John Wang uh, as a men's pastor. And I remember calling him during just the end of this five years, near the end, and I said, you know, I just want to go get a job at McDonald's. And he said, don't get a job at McDonald's. Get a job at In-N-Out Burger. It's a lot better than McDonald's. Yes, you're a good friend. <laughs> and I remember at the end of that five years, I found myself in New York City. It was New Year's, and my, my sister was working in New York City, and we decided to go to New York for the first time. And right after New Year's, Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, pastored by Jim Cymbal. I don't know if you've ever heard of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. They have a week of prayer. And every night I got on the C train from Manhattan, and I told my wife, Lynn came with me a couple times, but we were there for a week. And I said, I'm going to go down for the night of prayer, you know, every night of the week. 
and I get down there two hours early and I, I was heavy hearted. I had lost sight of the love of God for me. And every night I went and prayed and every night I, I went through that and it was invigorating. But at the very last night, I'll never forget, Jim Cimbala was sitting in, up on the steps. There's thousands of people there every night. I mean, it was electric. And there was a group of people around him. And before I left, I just thought, you know, I'd love to have Jim Cimbala pray for me. I've read his books. He's made a big difference in my life. And I walked up this big black bodyguard guy, because they've got so many people there, security. Um, I kind of hit it off with him through the week because I'd gotten there early and said hi to him. And I said, do you think there's any way that Jim Cimbala could pray for me? And he said, probably, yeah. And so he walked over. And I don't know how it happened, but I got through this group of people, and I'm sitting on the steps with Jim Cimbala right next to him. And he, uh, he, I'm on the right, he's on my left, and he takes my hand and he holds it. And then all of a sudden, this lady comes up and starts talking to him while he's holding my hand. I'm sitting on the front steps of Brooklyn Town <laughs> holding Jim Cimbala's hand, and he's having a conversation. And, and it gave me enough time to say, Lord, you know where I'm at. You know how I've, I've served you these years, but if you do want me to go get a job somewhere else, I'll do it. You tell me what to do, but Lord, I would appreciate it if something this man says could speak into my life. And unless it's totally wacko, I'm going to receive it as from you. And without even looking at me, the lady walked away. It's probably like 40 people around. And he just starts, he lifts his head and he starts, he doesn't know me. Doesn't even know I'm in the ministry. And he says, Lord, make this man a leader in your house. Make this man a leader in your house. So powerful to this day. And it's like what, what? John was saying last night, you know, the coals on the lips, they're unclean. I'm undone. And yet the Lord calls him back into ministry. I've got work for you to do. And it's powerful, the grace of God. That was a powerful message. Did you need that? And if it weren't for the word of God, we would never stay saying yes to God. We'd say no because we look at ourselves, right? But this is powerful. We need to hear this. Make this man a leader in your house. And he just began to, you know, pray over me. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there dumbfounded, you know, because we can convince ourselves of an alternate reality because not only are we housed in these earth suits, but we have a devil that just wants to convince us that we stink all the time. And we do. So he doesn't need to do a lot of convincing. But Paul's saying this, I believe this, the key to my ministry has been I never lost sight of how much the Lord loved me, and that's what compelled him to move forward. And I can show that to you here, and I will today. And that's what he wants us to know all the time. I was shocked when Jim Cimbala began to pray over me, but the Lord was using him to communicate his love, to remind us or remind me of his love. You know, it says uh, later in another writing of Paul in Romans, I'll just read it to you. Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Nor McDonald's. McDonald's can't separate you from God's love either. 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good news? Now, there's man's love. We're always talking about love. Every song on the radio is pretty much either about I hate you or I love you. I used to love you, now I hate you. But we have to define this within the parameters of what God is speaking about when he talks about love. And, and this love is an agape love. Have you ever heard that term, agape love? It's not erotic love. It's not a finite love. It's an infinite love. But let me just give you the definition so we know what we're dealing with here. It's not radio love. This is God's love. Agape is an unconditional love that is always giving and impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless and does not change whether the love given is returned or not. That's agape love. Let me read it to you one more time. This is the love that the Lord has for his children. It's an unconditional love that is always giving and impossible to take or to be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless. God is totally selfless and does not change whether the love given is returned or not. And as I said earlier, I believe that this was the wind in the sails of Paul's ministry. You know, he gets stoned and... He would just get up and walk back in the city and continue on with his ministry. He'd get bitten by a snake and he'd shake it off. He couldn't see so well, so he got a physician full-time to walk around with him named Luke. Paul was just a, you know, I just planted a church. I'm 49 years old. I planted multiple, I've been a church planter all my life. Do you know how much more work it is at 49 to plant a church than when you're 25? It's a young man's game. I hate to put it that way, but I have got no energy left. I've got no hair left. <laughs> I've got an 18-year-old all the way down to a 7-year-old at home. I'm going to be 60 before the children are out of the house. And we're planting city on a hill, Everett. But, you know, it's a great place to be to have no energy. Because I used to do a lot of things in the power of my flesh when I was younger that today I just, I just throw up my hand, Lord, you just have to deal with this. Lord, you know I want this view. You just have to provide it. <laughs> and I think about Paul and how he just kept going and going and how people maligned him. And he'd leave a city and the Judaizers would come in and try to disrupt all the theological teaching that he had just provided upsetting the apple cart. The man was tenacious, but it's not just because he was self-willed. It's because he understood agape. He was loved. He had a relationship with God. And he just, it was the motor in his heart, the understanding of the Lord's presence, presence and the fullness of God in his life when it came to love. He even said this. This is important. He said in 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. It is the wind in my sails. 
because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's that word love again. The word love throughout all of uh, the New Testament, it's not my love for Christ compels me, it's Christ's love for me that compels me. It keeps me moving forward. We're reading these books today because he was lavishly loved. And as we like to tell people, um, Christ doesn't just love you, he actually likes you. Not as you uh, should be, but as you are. You'll never be the Christian that you wish you were. He loves you, he likes you, he's for you. And he's committed to us to continue to move us forward, and I'll talk about that tonight, with his disciplining love. But Paul understood the agape. And that's why, for us, receiving comes first. Receiving. You know, I thought um, John hit it on the head last night when he talked about bringing God down to our level and our level of uh, human thinking and idol worship and all those things. But so often as Christians, even mature Christians, we can start to get into this mindset that I am the initiator and he's the responder. If I initiate well enough, if I uh, preach well enough, or if I teach well, if I lead enough people to Christ, if I do this or if I do that, because man's reset button is always works. We just get caught into this reset button of works instead of the reset button is accessing his grace and his love by faith. We just want to do more. And so we start to think, and we get it backwards, that we are the initiator and God is the responder. That's what religion is, right? Isn't that what all the other religions believe? Isn't that why they're going door to door and they're going to Mecca? And I'm not trying to put down any religions. I'm just saying that, you know, as was said last night, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And those burdens that are created by trying to be the initiator, the Lord wants to lift that off of us. And he wants to remind us, He's the initiator, and we're the responder. Receiving comes first. He, he was here first today. He was ministering here today. He was reminding us of what his word says, that his mercies are new every morning. And he was doing his work deep in our hearts first. And then as we start to hear this music, I mean, goodness, we start to hear the music, everyone stands up, and they're just saying, thank you for what you've done in my life. We're responders. And you know, this is, this is Christianity. Christianity is primarily a response. Think, think about marriage. Who's the heavenly groom? Jesus. Who's the earthly bride? The church. And it's, it's supposed to be the example of what earthly marriage is like. Who, who is the um, initiator? Who is the lover in the Ephesians 6, when you read Ephesians 6, who's to love their wives as Christ loved the church? The husband. We're the initiator. We're the, we're the giver. We're the lover. We're the ones that are to lavishly love the husbands. Who's the responder? The wife. Wives respect. Wives um, take hold of that love. And that's the way the whole system in Christianity, if you could say that, works. The brilliance. The Lord lavishes love upon his bride, and we respond, and you live a holier life in love. Love does all the heavy lifting. Do you want to live a holy life? 
be a responder. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love people. The whole law, the whole Christian life is summed up in love. And this is what he's saying. The, the main passion of the Christian is to get up in the morning and say, I need love. <laughs> right? I need love, Lord. I need mercy. I think I just read a quote that the Christian life is also just a succession of new beginnings, day in and day out. And that new beginning, I think, starts and begins with the merciful love of Jesus every morning. We're responders. He's the initiator. We're the receivers. And the only way that the Lord is going to change us is through his unfailing agape love. He will only grow us through his love. That is how he works. But he also has, and I kind of want to go into the home stretch with this, he has his ways to cause us to experience his love. And there's four things that I want to talk about uh, just this morning and tonight. I'm going to continue this tonight. And I just want to look at one thing today, and then I want to close with some worship. So we're going to have a lot of teaching today. And if I give you a ton of teaching right now, well, I could do that, couldn't I, Matt? I could just give you a ton of teaching right now, but you're all carved out from all those scones that you had earlier. <laughs> it's a bit warm in here too, isn't it? And so I want to go in the home stretch with this one thought and just leave you with this. One of the greatest ways that the Lord has caused me to experience his agape, unfailing, faithful love is through tests and trials. And I hate those. Paul, Peter uh, says that we're to take them as gold. But when you're in the midst of a fiery trial and test, you don't always sit back and say, hey, I'm really, really appreciating this right now. This is great for me. In fact, the first thing that you do when you go through a test or a trial or you're in the middle of it is you think, what have I done wrong to deserve this? Am I right? And yet God in his brilliance uses these tests and trials over and over again. He's done it in my life. If you don't want tests and trials, don't go into ministry. They're part and parcel with what we experience. But here's what the Lord wants us to know. The best friends, the best relationships, and we always tell people, I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? The best relationships are not forged in a pub. They're not forged through a joke. The best friends are forged when you go through rough stuff together. Can I get an amen? I mean, are you better friends with your wife or your husband now after you've been through a lot of junk together than you were when you first got married and you barely knew each other? You wanted to trade each other in? The best friends, the best relationships, according to the Lord's economy, I think are forged through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you want to know and experience his love and be tethered to his love and to be tethered to his heart, he allows us to go through these difficult things. And what's the first use of the word love? And I can, I can show you what I mean by this. The first use of the word love in the entire Bible is in Genesis. Does anybody know where it's at? It's in Genesis 22. And it's when God the Father comes to Abraham and he says, take now your son, 
your only son whom you love. And I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt sacrifice on a mountain that I'll show you. And a lot of times we read that and we think, why would you add the word love? Well, what's the first use of the word love in the New Testament? The first use of the word love in the Old Testament is between a father and his son. The first use of the word love in the New Testament is in Matthew when Jesus is coming up out of the water and you hear the father say to his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What are we called, by the way? We're called the sons of God. The greatest love in the Bible is between the father and his son. That's the principle of first usage in the Bible. This is the supreme love. We're the children of God. We're the sons of God. And he loves us with a lavish love. But he says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and take him to Moriah and offer him up to me. And you're saying, what does this have to do with fiery trials, tests, and love, and tethering ourselves to the Lord? Well, let's not forget, 2,000 years later, God the Father would allow his own son to go to Moriah, to the very place where he called Abraham and Isaac, and he would offer up his own son. And if God the Father wanted to have a friend on earth experience with his own son, his supernatural son, let's not forget he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. If he wanted his friend to experience his own suffering with his son, what, what the Bible calls the fellowship of suffering, how would you go about it? You would ask a friend to go and experience what you will experience with your own son. It's a perfect picture. Isaac actually went to Jerusalem with his father, who was actually laid upon the wood. That's called um, the fellowship of suffering, as I just said. The Lord allows trials to bond us in, in a love relationship with him. You know, they say if you lose a child in your marriage, if you lose a child, there's only two ways you go, really. You either get divorced because of the stress, or you become closer through this valley of the shadow experience. And many of you know that when we were in Linden, and what caused some of this situation that got me to Jim Cimbala's doorstep was that right after we moved to Linden from England, we found out that Olivia, our little one-and-a-half-year-old daughter had cancer. And we went through six, seven months of treatment. They took out two-thirds of her liver. We thought we were through. Eight days post-op, we thought she was going to be healed. And eight days post-op, she got a virus in the hospital, and we lost her. And that was the hardest thing ever, to be in ministry and to be in a full-blown depression. We just slogged through it. But that was 14 years ago, and we're still married. And do, do I, would I ever want that to happen to anyone? No way. But Lynn's mom, uh, who just went to be with the Lord, Lynn, Lynn was raised kind of a pseudo-Buddhist. Most of the family's Buddhist, Japanese, with going to church maybe once a year as a kid. Mom wasn't a believer, but her mom came to know Christ through the death of our daughter. And Lynn and I have stayed together. 
And I can tell you this, we know each other a lot better and we're a lot closer because of it. Would I wish that on anybody? No, but I will be reunited with my daughter and with my mother-in-law and they're together now. And these things you have to access by faith. You have to know these things by faith. But love comes through trials. The experience of love comes through tests. And listen, you may be thinking, this stinks. Man, this was such a good message before you went into all that. <laughs> this, this is depressing. But guys, those people that don't know Christ, they suffer too. Don't you realize that? It's not just the Christians who suffer. Yeah, we do suffer. But see, God redeems our suffering. He has this plan for it in the end. I mean, John Lennon still got shot in New York City. George Harrison still died of cancer. Bad things happen to famous people too. The world experiences suffering, but they don't know the divine love that we know. And trust me, there is no love outside of a deity. And there is no other deity but Jesus, but God the triune God. And we are a lavishly loved people. We can wake up in the morning and say, this is not easy. This is difficult. Life is difficult. But you're going to redeem it. You love me. I have hope. And the world doesn't have this. The world needs this. This is what we have to offer. We have to offer this love. The world's watching. I wish I was better in the midst of trials, but the world's watching. So you can sit back and thank God for how he took hold of you and how you understood him better and how relationships were, in your Christian relationships were knitted closer together through tests and trials. This is just one of the ways. I've got three more tonight. That's called a teaser in the ministry. That's to try to get you back. This morning you came for the scones and the worship and the teaching, but tonight you just, you know, the teaser. Isn't God good? <laughs>